Hello, everyone. Welcome to Two Sides HR Podcast. My name is Jim Davis, and I am your host. Today is a special episode for two reasons. First, we're talking about applicant experience from the employee perspective. Being on the job market teaches applicants a lot about what to expect, what to look for, and most importantly, what to avoid while looking for work. Second is, this is my first in-person podcast recording at all, and also the first time interviewing my colleague and friend, Jared Glasser, who has written about employment matters and operates his own work-related comic strip, Jared, thank you so much for joining me today. So, Jared, thanks for coming on the show. No problem. It's great to meet you. Yes. We have never met before. Never. Um, well, you know, we're here to talk about employment issues in general. Uh, both Jared and I were on the job market for quite some time, so we have a little bit of experience in the applicant process. In the yes. applicant process, during what was a very interesting time for finding a job and when the workforce was shifting dramatically. And one thing I think is interesting is there's a lot of HR content around, but you can really just talk to people, friends, people you just met about their job and how they talk about their job really, you know, it's just different than the way people did years and years ago. So we are experiencing a shift in a lot of things, but I think the workforce, almost every angle of it. One thing I find interesting is, you know, just how the numbers of a rising job market, you know, this many jobs were added. And but it doesn't exactly correlate with how people feel about the economy. Mm. So there's a lot of mixed messages all over the place. I feel about that. I remember when I was in middle school, and that's when Obama ran for the first time. And you always heard about you know job growth or job decline, how many jobs are opening, how many shut down. And now then you hear X amount of jobs added, but there's kind of pessimism towards the workplace in general that it doesn't feel correlate. And also you add inflation and people working jobs that barely pay, uh, people working jobs that don't provide health insurance. A lot of people you know, taking gigs from all these companies that add up to a living but might not exactly be a great data for job openings in that sense. Yeah, a couple interesting things have happened this time around that have never happened before. One of them is, is that there are only one half of a person available for each job opening that's available. And that hasn't happened in about 30 years. And certainly lots of other things are unique about this exact moment in time. So it is an unprecedented time and some organizations have learned to adapt and take what that really means into heart, which is that the power isn't really in the employer's arena anymore. So if you're going to, behave like you did when that was the case, then, you know, there's going to be consequences as to how candidates interact with your organization. And, and many changed quickly in how they did things over the pandemic, but surprisingly, a lot of organizations did not. And a lot of organizations have realized that they've had to compete for the kind of environment that workers, especially younger ones, want to be in. And I'm not just talk I'm not just talking about the kind of job necessarily, but you know, how flexible work is. Can you work from home? They have to be aware that maybe the days of the CEO walking by just to physically see how the workers are doing five days a week, that might be over. And the idea that there are people out there who are very talented, but they're fine being as productive as possible, working a solid four hours a day in their pajamas. And but at the end of the day, the productivity is the productivity. And they're adding to it in their own little way. Absolutely. 
And I think probably people are getting sick of me talking about this. I'm getting very sick of you talking yes. about whatever you're about to talk about. <laughs> um, what are you going to say? But the uh, productivity thing is like, that was the big fear in the beginning when everyone went home was that the people wouldn't be as productive as uh, without someone breathing down their neck or, you know, seeing them every day. But then productivity became a problem in a whole new way with employees that were working from home or working harder than they'd ever worked. Yes. Longer hours, finding, I mean, we've, we've all experienced the lack of delineation between work and life when you're working remotely. So they'll do that on their own without leaders pushing you to. And so I think, I think many leaders have become aware of that over the years, but it was kind of interesting to see in the beginning of the pandemic, them holding their breath for those productivity numbers and then being like, oh, phew, we don't have a problem. Look, they're working harder than ever. Right. Because <laughs> that's how some people are just better off. And there's just so many pros and cons. You can have two people arguing, one for remote, one for going back to the office, and they could both make very valid points. And, you know, I had a friend of mine say, you know, well, it's nice to see coworkers and have those friendly conversations in the break room. But I kind of made the point, yeah, some people find that. But, you know, would you argue that it's worth an hour on the road? Right. No, or, I mean, or even I more than that for people there to the office and back. So there's a lot of, you know, is it worth the hour on the road? Is it worth the extra gas? Is it worth, yeah. you know, all those factors of being in the in the building? And to some people it is, and some people it isn't. And people did get to see what works for them. There were some that rushed back to the office and some that were like, I'm never coming back. I am never, you know, I don't care that I left the bobblehead behind. I can do without them. Before all this went down, I used to interview people, HR professionals, workplace experts about um, the problem of burnout, the problem of working too much. And, you know, where in a busy day that you have to get stuff done, do you find quiet moments? And it's very interesting what a lot of people were saying was, well, you got that drive into the office. So instead of listening to a podcast or something, take that time to structure yourself or organize yourself or have a quiet moment if you're on the train same thing you know in that case probably do listen to an audiobook it was always encroaching upon those last few free moments yeah. in a worker's day to say well use those moments wisely so that you don't get burned out at work and use the uh, drive to and from work wisely. Yeah, I heard that a number of times. As in what? Don't crash the car? Well, as in like instead of distracting yourself at that moment, use that to be your calming moment because you weren't going to get it during the day, you know. Um, and if you did, it wouldn't be enough to stave right. off burnout. And one of the and which is a major issue to this day and had been a major issue before before the pandemic. I never thought of it that way, but that's interesting. What's also interesting about it, perhaps, is it feels that like some people think, well, they're gonna be in the car no matter what. So <laughs> that'll be the that's on me, guys. That's the calming moment. Well, and then all those also moments, the breakfast you have at home, that cereal. Be calm when you do that. <laughs> so those moments in the car and those moments, you know, when you do get a lunch break or something, and employers are relying on that to be this like uh, defense against burnout or against you know being overwhelmed. Uh, are now being argued about as like something that, you know, we miss. We miss people must miss driving to work, and there are people who do. That's the great to me the crazy thing because I of course don't miss driving to work at all. Right. 
But some people really did need that quiet time. You know, you're in a full household or yeah. whatever your home responsibilities and duties are, that might be the only moment you get in the day. Mm-hmm. And I think that there was a lot of fear in the beginning of the pandemic, like you're not having that time. Oh, no, people are going to burn out like crazy. In some cases they did, but I think a lot of people have adapted around it. There's been an awful lot of adaptation that's happened both by employers and employees since the beginning of the pandemic. And I think there's a lot of talk about burnout, how to help it, how to retain employees. But I think at the end of the day, if you don't have a boss or management that you feel comfortable approaching, you're, you know, good luck finding people that are going to stick around. Because you could have as many free donuts in that break room as you want. You could offer them a limo. But if they don't feel comfortable telling you why they might need a very personal week off, that's that's what I think it comes down to. And I think a lot of people are onto that. How there's all these goodies all over, and these all these talk about these perks. But at the end of the day, it's can I talk to the boss? Will he or she listen? Is this a place of reasonable people? Because I think no matter where we are in office or you know with friends or family, well, family's a little different because you're kind of stuck with them. But you want reasonable people. You want people that are going to listen and give you maybe not the answers you thought they'd give all the time, but ones that show that I'm listening. And I think people want that a lot. It is really important to have an environment where people are comfortable sharing. Because ultimately, that will come naturally if you do provide, you know, psychological safety for your employees to complain without it being a whole big issue Um, understanding that people might need to blow off steam or might need to be distracted and talk about their weird weekend or whatever it was without it being like this ideal you're taking away from your your time that you have to work and some organizations really thrive at doing that one of the things that's been really interesting is how much work it has taken employers to create those scenarios where basically you're having to create a custom experience for employees because everyone's different. Some people like to be home. Some people don't. Some people like hybrid. Some people like to be socially active. Others need that silence in the morning or they, they have different parts of the day where they need different. If you want to create a place in a workplace environment, whether it's remote or not, that's comfortable for your employees, the actual work that needs to be put in by human resources and then translate it down into management or laterally into management, depending, where they understand the importance of that and are also working in concert with HR to create that that environment of this person can get these things if they need them and this person gets those things. It's hard work, and you can see why they didn't do it for so long. Yes. And now they're forced to. And it's been, it's been even people that aren't doing it right at least had to sit down and talk about it. For a little while, which Mm -hmm. they never did before. Yeah. The days of meeting somebody in the office, talking to them for 30 seconds, saying what your job title is, and thinking you know everything you need to know about them, those days are pretty much, I think, extinct. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it's it it does take effort to really understand someone's strengths and weaknesses. You can have a team of just a few people and know that, half of them are the complete opposite than the other half, but you need people whose strengths complement each other's. If you have five people and they're good at the same thing and they're bad at the same things, what is that? It doesn't do you much. It doesn't, it's not a lot of bands with just drummers. 
at work. Very true. Diversity of thought. Diversity of thought, I call it. I think that that is an opportunity that we have here, you know, in the post-pandemic. There's an opportunity here for employers to embrace that customization that's needed and to trade upon, how do I put it? The diversity of thought that we're talking about is automatically being um, nurtured in environments where organizations understand the need to customize the experience for various employees. Because not only are they allowing people to be themselves more, but they're also allowing people to thrive and grow and learn within their organizations in an unfettered kind of way so that they'll sort of naturally fit into the needs of the organization as much as they themselves diversify. So I think there are some real opportunities here, too. And you can't get in the way of them. No. And here's a question I have for you. Just I've been thinking about it for a while. Do you think that employees now, there's almost kind of, or maybe for employers, there's almost kind of a reason not to sound like as much of a family as possible. Do you think when you just throw things out there, like we're a family, so much room for growth, untapped potential. There there's certain phrases that just sound like someone is looking to try so hard to be good that... It's almost like they're hiding something. Do you I mean, think that we're in an age now where people are starting to actually get skeptical if they weren't already? I've read an awful lot about that from many perspectives. I think employers, even to this day, want to embrace the idea of family, of the workplace being a family or of an organization being family. Um, you still hear it a lot. And yet there is, in you know, in some of the movements, the... Um, labor movements that have happened in the last five or 10 years, yes, that has become a little bit of a dirty word. And it really comes down to, and, and I see both sides, really both perspectives. In many ways, the, your, your employees and your coworkers do become a sort of family. You spend all day with them. Even if even in an online environment, you still spend all day working with them or coordinating with them. So I think it, it's more complicated than that. I think that there are indeed organizations that say we want you to be part of a family and mean it and get it right. I don't think that's impossible. But like you, like we said earlier, people are looking for different things. So some people might be like, okay, I'm not looking for a family. Yeah. I'm looking for a group of people to talk to a little bit and get stuff done with. I have a family at home. Yeah. So maybe that could even turn off some people. I just always was fascinated by that instant need to say we're a family. It's like we do, we're not even going to tell you, you know, what the salary is, but we're a family. It's also interesting because family is so complicated and can mean so many different things yeah. to so many different people. What if so, someone hates their family? Yeah, what we're if a family. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm looking for a group of ducks just to watch at the pond. Some people do want to work and just be left alone. And I think there's also been an awareness um, by many employers and experts that that's okay for once. Part of accepting the, the uh, sort of speciation of your employees is that you have to accept that not everybody wants to grow and become the next thing and and move up and not think of that and it can be challenging as a negative thing some people have needs and requirements in their home life and they are coming to do their work do it well and leave it at the door cash your check and bring it home and you need to make room for those people too because those people can be solid workers those are the kinds of people that come to work and say I got to get through all of this stuff by the end of the day so that I can compartmentalize mm-hmm. and not think about work later on. And that's such a reliable person, too, when you think about it, because they're basically saying, listen, I don't want to be like 
up, up, up executive. I'm fine doing this. So when you're not going to be replacing me all the time because I'm here and I'm good at my job. I like it. You know, I don't dream of being on Forbes magazine and I'm comfortable. And that's all some people want. It shouldn't be looked down on. You just can't have an entire team of people no, like that. No, you can't. That would, that would not last long. you got to spread them out a little bit. Tell me about your team, Beth. Well, they all <laughs> want to do the same exact thing all the time. No. They think innovation's terribly boring. Um, no. Yes. So, we are a group of non-innovators, and we love to non-innovate things. I think that the applicant has become just as diverse as the employee also. And that there's a lot of stuff that's going on that people just simply could not could not have fathomed as happening. People turning down jobs, people quitting jobs without having other jobs lined up, um, people having a choice. So getting one job and then two weeks into it, they really take a hard look at your organization. And then they've had these other offers that are waiting on them because they have a lack of candidates and if you don't get them right in those first couple of weeks, good chance, especially with how long the applicant process takes, yeah. good chance some other offers are, are either active or are coming to be active soon. And I know employers are painfully aware of the cost of that kind of turnover, especially when you're spending so much time getting someone in the door and probably paying them more than you would be comfortable with you know, just a year and a half ago or two years ago. So yeah, it's a, it's a crazy time. A lot of people are trying to come up with solutions. And I think there are only so many. There's only so much you can do in a remote environment. And I think accepting that limitation is okay. You yeah. know, we're not going to have the water cooler. We're not going to have the drive-in or the break room moments or whatever it is. There is something lost there, but it's okay to lose it. Because there are, you know, we adapt, we change, we're humans. That's our favorite thing. Yes. That would be a great interview. Tell me about yourself. I'm anti-adapting. <laughs> <laughs> I will not adapt. I will work, but, you know, I don't want to learn anything. Rigid as a pole, brittle, brittle as iron. Watch yes. me not adapt. <laughs> uh, just obsolesce right out of my I can role. picture that being like a viral LinkedIn post. Hey, guys, just lost my job at my sales gig. I'm just looking for a place where I can't adapt. You know, it's funny because I worked an awful lot of, you know, service jobs and random jobs and worked for a lot of What do you mean a random job? Like a restaurant or something? Let's see. What's my name? I was just fast. Like, what do you mean random job? When you think about it, they're almost all random. Mm. Some are more random than others. Let's see. What's one of my more random jobs? There was this uh, German woman that used to live in my little community, and she always wanted things painted and shelves hung, and she had friends. Oh, like an odd job. So, you know, just yeah. like things would come. People would just be like, you know how to set up printers? You know how to... So I was always doing stuff like that, always, and I still do. Sometimes, mostly for free, but sometimes for money. But then, yeah, you know, I've worked as a busboy. I've worked as a... As a waiter in a couple of places, I've worked as a cook. I've worked as a as a prep chef. Um, I successfully avoided the restaurants, but the grocery store, shelving assistant for the library, ceiling driveways, a lot of the stuff. Grocery store was the first thing in high school, and that'll that'll teach you some stuff. And the the reason I'm bringing it up is because in those times, I can't say if it's because of the era or the roles, there was not adaptation and growth. I mean, very. you might get more work, but very much it was like, these are the things you need to do. 
It's an accomplishable list. And when you're done with the day, you have to have gotten through all of them or else things didn't work. Right. And so it was very interesting to come into the office world as that kind of person, because I very much expected things to be stable and sturdy. Like they had been, you know, no matter what terrible boss I had or, or aloof boss or I had them all really, uh, at least the work was something you could count on, you know, and now in a world that's changing so rapidly and in places that are changing so rapidly, it was very jarring to realize that my role was just changing like every three or four months, whether you're in a new job or in the same job. And that's something I've gotten a lot better at. And a lot of people had to during the pandemic. We I feel are like more productive than ever. Now, just a conversation, I mean, these are fictional names, but a conversation is like, hey, Cody, did you get Brian's email? Yeah, I had no idea what that was about. <laughs> Apparently, there's a meeting tomorrow. Or I didn't know. As silly <laughs> as that may sound, I feel like that's a very common thing. It's always been about how fast can you adapt? Those who adapt faster succeed best. The rate of adaptation has already been out of control of the, the requirement of adaptation in organizations, both like technologically, what you need out of candidates, how your management structured, how your overall organization structured. All that stuff has been way out behind the times for years and years and years and years before the pandemic came. And it's always been, well, we just don't know how to change that quickly. We got to gather data. We got to think about it. We got to make a plan. By the time you've done that, things have changed, right? But now... That just washed like a huge portion of organizations just out of the marketplace. They're gone because they couldn't handle the really the tidal wave that that requirement became something I can ignore at a mild cost to myself to something that just put me under because I couldn't see it coming. And one of the great things for the employee is that we have all learned how to adapt. We've had to. We're masters at it. Those of us that are still in the workforce and the organizations that can have always needed that are now finally understanding how to use it successfully. Do you think there's some organization that try to adapt too much? They're always trying to change so much to the point where they can't stay at something they're solidly good at. Yeah, it absolutely. What if an organization keeps laying off people and they say it's for, you know, we're, we're reshaping or we're growing and Restructuring is always a restructuring. Risk. I mean, do you think there's a point where like too too much restructuring actually sends you backwards? Because maybe if you did a little less, you'd get a solid foundation for what you're good at and grow there. Absolutely. I mean, not for the guy that we were talking about that doesn't like to adapt ever. That mm-hmm. fictional guy. But you know, people who just like to stay at something for a few months without feeling like you know all these kickballs are coming at them. Really good change management professionals, and I met a few of them, call it a journey or a transition or whatever, emerging, or uh, they have these names that suggest motion, and that may be a little bit trite, but it's also critical to understanding, like, if you change too quickly or if you put too much in a change and then you take too long to execute, either one of those, absolutely. Like, mergers and acquisitions are famous for failing. Because the risks, it never gets higher in the risk than putting all of your financials on the line for something. And if you're not adapting quickly enough, that kills you. If you're adapting too quickly, that costs you. And maybe it just goes back to timing is everything. Like we were saying earlier, HR management leadership really need to understand what their team is good at while they're trying to have them stick around so they can really utilize them, make them feel at home, make them feel respected. And... 
allow them to soar with their strengths. And, you know, when you are impatient and you're jumping around and you're saying restructure, restructure, it, you know, it's growth, but it, you could also, I mean, no, it's movement, but you could also argue it's going in circles. Yeah, it definitely can happen. And every organization is going to undergo massive changes at some point or another. Of course. The rate of it, like you say, is important. What becomes really critical is, how do I put it? One of the most positively rated things by employees as far as engagement-wise is the career opportunities and development and training development opportunities within an organization. If you're an organization that's really good at that, then you're probably not going to be the organization that changed too fast and failed. Because instead of saying, I'm going to close this department down, we're going to put all the work in this department on these three people, and we're going to bizarrely acquire this unrelated technology, you're saying, I'm going to allow my, I'm going to let go of my people within my organization to move out of where they are currently performing very well, take the risk there with your people for them to move into other roles and allow the growth to happen and the innovation and, and adaptation to happen naturally from within. And then you're making corrections outside of your organization. You're saying, okay, well, this person left and maybe that department they left from didn't need one person doing that role. It really needed two with slightly different duties. You can start getting granular into how your different departments are run as people move around. It forces you to look into succession planning. It forces you to have a pipeline and it forces you to be strategic about the work that the people are going to be doing instead of saying we want to do this and we need to get these kinds of people and shove them in there. Yeah. You're saying our own employees created these opportunities for us because we let them grow in our organization. Right. Doesn't mean you're not going to occasionally have to fire some people, move some people around. And there are so many stories, you know, especially on LinkedIn of people who hired someone that had a degree or had you know, two years of unemployment, these elements on their application that so many would consider just a red flag. And they soared because you give someone the tools they need to soar and the time they need, and you can be just so impressed with what you come up with. And it has to be such a rewarding moment for someone who hires is when they see somebody that they know was an underdog on paper for the position, and they see what they're capable of because they trusted them and they and they had that gut instinct. And the more you have of that, I just think the better. I love stories of people who just soar in their background. You just have no idea. But they found a home because the organization let them find a home. They didn't just let them go and raise a you know, big sign that said, we're growing, everyone. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're, we're changing with technology. And that's another thing. There's like We're all changing with technology. That's so. for sure. I think people overuse that a lot. Yes, it's around. It's probably sticking. <laughs> I'll take some notes on my typewriter when this is over. But <laughs> from what I hear, technology is just on the boom. Yeah, it's all the rage. Um, I'm always looking for a pro-technology employee. Those microchips. Yeah. Really getting, people getting really excited about those for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's like it's such a huge category. Um, it's almost meaningless to talk about it with the yeah. technology with the capital T. When people say like, yeah, but we're experiencing a rise in technology. Like, how about like concrete or something I didn't know was rising? Like the Apple industry or shelves, just in something interesting. I mean, hover shelves. Hover shelves. Right? They rearranged yes. based on your needs for the day. That should be a boss that walks in a room and says, technology is eh, but I want to talk about hover shelves. <laughs> Let's make it happen. 
Hmm. We're changing our research and development projects. And the, the real trick would be stabilization, you know. So. I need to find out who here is loyal, but who's going to buy my hover shelf NFT. <laughs> you know what the biggest threat to hover shelves is? What? Things that are leaning, you know? I mean, you're really going to have some trouble when that shelf moves across the way, but something's leaning up against something, now it's on the floor. Yeah. So, I mean, that's going to be the person that learns how to fix the leaning problem, they're going to disrupt that whole industry. Yes. <laughs> but at least there will be room for growth. Always. Always. Um and you know, and that actually, in an odd way, does bring us to an important point, which is that there are points on this podcast. Yeah, no. sometimes this is more rambly than most, but that's okay. Rambling is good. Rambling is how the world runs. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> Rambling and coffee. Well, it, you will, uh, you know, and I've interviewed a lot of people about their careers. It's always like my career path is nothing I could ever possibly imagine. It doesn't matter who you ask. Ask anybody. Yeah, and. That's because life takes a meandering path. We like to think of it as sort of a growing, like you grow in a straight direction up the entire time and old you was an idiot and didn't know anything and new you has all the latest information. Yes. But it's much more like a scatter plot of opportunities that you accepted or, or pushed away moving in kind of a, maybe an upward spiral. Hopefully, if you're... Well, everyone's right. a little different. <laughs> there are some people who might be listening to this wishing it was an upward spiral, but uh, so I that, guess maybe a zigzag. Zigzags are good. Not a straight line. And I think that the Straight modern... lines are very misleading. <laughs> Never play tic-tac-toe as a kid. It just sets you up for a world of failure. Especially since it's a, it's a fixed game. Yes. If, you, if everyone plays perfectly, no one ever wins. Exactly. Terrible game. Only X's and L's? I'm not good enough to play that way, so I don't like to play it. <laughs> but at least technology is on the rise. Yes. Yes. I think we're getting... I think we're going to see it a little bit in the conversation. Why don't we bring it back in for one last one last topic? Based on all of your, you know, um, being in the application processes, if you could tell, you know, sort of employers of capital E to make like, I don't know, three fixes to their applicant process what would it be i mean what do you hate the most about it that's what i'm asking well i'm not looking for them anymore right but well i think i speak for the world when i say when you ask people to submit their resume in that little form after you give them the real copy and your linkedin profile should have everything i mean i've gotten clients without it without that because they see my work yeah and i think we're also just i think that's just not a lot of people are looking for skills now. We are kind of in this skills-based economy. And no matter what someone does, if they're hired as a contractor or maybe full-time for a specific skill, you want to see the portfolio. So I would say that I think employers should be very open to hearing about somebody's gaps on their resume and what they learned from it and... How do they put people at ease when they're doing that? Because everyone has a gap on the resume, right? Does it? That's like. Well, I would say, what did you what did you learn from it, or how did you get better? How not explain this gap, but something like, hey, listen, I noticed that five months you weren't employed. I understand it. Life happens. I'm not asking you to just come up with something right off the spot of what you did, but how are you a better? employee person worker now than if you didn't have that gap tell me why that gap 
is a good thing rather than something you need to you feel you have to explain because sometimes you know the gaps are a very good thing i mean you read history of if you read a history book of anybody you admire in any industry there's probably something about their life that may be the equivalent of a gap and they learned they adapted and they grew and it's the people who don't have gaps who didn't have those moments that are you know maybe life was a little easier gaps always represent challenging moments in someone's life right and if you think that someone's gonna go through a challenge without learning something valuable that they're going to apply to their next issue then so i guess what i'm saying is yeah when you ask someone to explain the gap go about the right way like tell me why this was a good thing rather than explain this please yep yep the other thing i would say is and I think I speak for a lot of people when I say this. I think this is the third one. You asked me for three. Yeah, I mean. Is sure. the question, where do you see yourself in five years? The only accurate answer I, I can give to this, and a lot of people, is I take my age and I add five and hope I'm alive in that time. Because, like you said, people don't know where they're going to be. And yeah. I think when people are asked that, it puts me in a position of, I'm going to answer what you want me to. I've read about this company. I know what they want me to say. But, you know, where you are in five years, you might learn a new skill. There could be an industry that doesn't exist now that exists in five years that you could like. So saying, tell me where do you see yourself in five years kind of assumes that the world isn't going to change much. And, you know, the rumor is that technology is changing a lot of things. (laughs) Um, I think so and I think it's just also very generic if you're interviewing somebody and the person being interviewed is thinking okay they googled this yep it doesn't make them feel like the effort was made and since there's such a uh competition out there for talent and I wrote an article about this one recruiters need to think of themselves as the one that needs to stand out a little bit sometimes absolutely Absolutely. I mean, it, in a way, they're being interviewed, kind of, not in the same sense, but if you're competing, first, if you want someone on your side, and you know they probably have other offers, and you sound like you're just reading a Mad Lib, or, you know, with just, you know, insert the right word here, that doesn't help you stand out. No, it doesn't. I think that there, you know, a lot of people talk about disengaged employees and then actively disengaged employees which are those employees that not only aren't interested in doing their aren't interested in their roles anymore or depressed in their roles but are actively seeking to damage their organizations and this number is often far more significant than people think it is far larger than people think it is when that person is a recruiter Mm -hmm. the ripple effect of damage that they do to their organizations or their clients. They're, you said they're actively trying to damage the organization? Yes. This is... Just as, as a kind of middle finger to management? There is a point at which a disengaged worker, someone who's no longer performing their, their duties to, to an acceptable degree... And this person has a day where they're leaving in mind, typically? Not always, no. Sometimes There's they're way. trapped. Sometimes that's why. The motivation for... And I, and I think this is a really interesting idea, but... The motivation for a dis- actively disengaged employee uh, are very are varied. They're all the things you can think of, like their manager is horrible to them. They feel trapped at their work. They feel like they're not getting the opportunities to grow. 
whatever it is, the effects of what they do to your organization are severe. So like a disengaged employee just doesn't make you a lot of money. An actively disengaged employee costs you resources, not just money. Could be manpower. They could ruin a whole team. Now, I've met a lot of actively disengaged uh, or deeply misguided recruiters in my life. I was on the market recently for six months. When they, they're representing somebody, right, when they're calling you. They have a job in mind and they have an organization that desperately needs that person. When that recruiter is burnt out or doesn't care or worse, hates what they're doing, man, they are hurting your organization disproportionately so. It reminds me, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but I worked, and I said this before, I worked at a a grocery store in high school. And it was my first week. I was 17, maybe about to turn 17. And I was bagging for a cashier. And it was the cashier's last day. (laughs) And people, as they commonly do in grocery stores, will ask you, like, excuse me, do you know where the, you know, cereal is? There were a couple of people that asked him where to find something, and it was his last day, and he intentionally pointed them <laughs> in the exact opposite direction in a rather large store. This was not a little mini, you know, farm farm stand. And that was his last day, and I didn't know him, but that was clearly, he clearly didn't like that job, and that was his way of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. On the way out, I'm not saying people should do that. But it's interesting compared to what you say. And imagine that guy in a recruiter position <laughs> yeah. with tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars of decisions being made at his fingertips. Imagine, you know, and this guy was just telling, you know, telling people that they could find the ice where the produce was. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a very human thing. It is very human. And there was such competition for getting employees uh, and still is that, you know, we ran out of recruiters. I mean, when I was looking for jobs, there were more recruiter jobs than any other job in, mm-hmm. in the employment field. And there still are, which means that every recruiter is being used, including all of those really angry ones that aren't good at their jobs. So I just, it's just something I always like to think about it. I don't think it gets enough airtime talking about actively disengaged employees because, of course, you want to focus on the larger group. And when you think disengaged about it, employees, they're probably so exhausted because when they're on the phone, they have to physically sound like they love their job. Mm. They're n- not entering data and you know by themselves, not on the phone. They have to be the physical voice. When I yeah. say voice, I don't mean typing in capital letters. Like, nice to talk to you the other day. <laughs> I mean, and you know, I never thought about it that way. But it has, especially if they're frustrated with their own jobs, because recruiters are obviously not immune to that. That has to be exhausting. That has to be exhausting to talk to somebody about how great the place is in a voice that sounds like you're on Sesame Street or whatever, and and you're frustrated. They're often quota-based roles Yes, that are also commission-based, so it's like a sales job, um, and if something doesn't go through, you don't get paid, or right. you get paid very little. Or you get fired, depending on you know how performance based it is. But it often is quite quite competitive. So yeah, it's just uh, it's just like all the things that you know, HR folks have been learning about trying to take care of their employees. 
you kind of undermine yourself a little bit when you hire an outside recruiting agency that you haven't vetted properly. Right. Because if they're not doing those things to their employees, that is going to hurt your organization. And I don't know, man. I don't know if I want to take any more calls from burned out recruiters. That's for sure. Anyway, Jared, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be on. And I look forward to hopefully more times on the podcast. It's a distinct possibility. Listeners, your support means a lot to me. I will be releasing the next episode in a few weeks. My schedule is a little busier than usual, so we're looking at probably about three weeks between episodes now instead of two weeks. It won't be that way forever, but thank you so much for listening. Links to my various channels are in the description. This is Jim Davis with Two Sides HR.